Comunidad, welcome back to Radio Teco News, a podcast of the legacy San Francisco-based community bilingual Latino newspaper, El Tecolote. My name is Alexis Terrazas, editor-in-chief, and in this next episode, we continue our conversation with Candice Ford and Kriti Cano. In our previous episode, we spoke with Kriti and Candice about the life and legacy of their dear friend and climate activist, Win Bruce. In part two of this episode, we talk about how Win's death was first reported by mainstream media, the significance of his final silent scream, and amid the interconnected chaos that haunts our world today, how we can honor and compost our grief in hopes for creating real radical change. Both of you have already talked about, um, you know, the uh, portrayal, uh, in, especially when, when news broke, um, uh, of Wynn's uh, self-immolation and, 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 uh, and death. Um, so I guess two questions. Um, you know, what was your reaction to the, or how, um, you know, uh, how his act uh, was, was interpreted by, by mainstream media and, and what do you hope now, um, you know, in terms of even, you know, speaking to us, his father speaking to the to the Washington Post? Um, how do you hope he's remembered um, after this? So I know it's two questions, and I know they could both be a little complex, but I'm wondering, you know, what was your reaction seeing like these initial reports, and and how do you hope, um, you know, people remember him uh, after now? That's it. It's, um, it's, you know, that question brings up uh, pain, Alex's, because uh, as, as you would know, as a journalist, you know, journalists are under incredible stress to produce stories that get more and more hits. Mm -hmm. There isn't time to go deep. There isn't time to look at nuances. And so there was everything was a little caricature and they were looking for just a few quotes and you don't have time to go deep um, to understand when, to understand Buddhism, to understand history of self-immolation, which they did, by the way, refer to some things, but also not with enough depth, not with enough complexity, care, compassion. And so was very painful I was personally without pe random people not knowing me at all ended up giving death threats to me over phone and emails I was called a murderer a cult leader so there was just a lot of different things it just instead of caring about the message that Wynn stood for which is what I want to be him to be remembered for and I want to talk a lot more about it in whatever time we have remaining. It just became on, oh, who said what? Do you use the word suicide or not? Like it, 
I don't care about what words are used. It's like none of us can know what was truly going on in his mind a week before this action or two weeks or months before exactly. Mm-hmm. But what we are utterly sure of was that love for the planet, compassion for all beings was a huge part of who he was. Huge part. If he had any other issues going on, none of us can rule things, those things out. But he, with his, with his TBI, making the move to go out of a pro- protective bubble of boulder he was in on Earth Day, in front of an institution of immense power, which is Supreme Court, and to take on, to choose to die in a way which is the most painful way there is to die. I have tears every time I imagine that my friend experienced that pain for, I don't know, close to 20 hours before he died. There was a communication, a massive communication in that last act. If he was depressed or worried about anything else, he could have chosen to end his life in other very easy ways, in the privacy and safety of his home. He knew the trails around Boulder like back of his hand. He could have done anything. So the mainstream press failed us in just trying to get some shallow quotes for the most part. Mm -hmm. I want him to be remembered. I I don't know if your listeners uh, could see all the articles because some of them are behind paywalls. (laughs) But one of the uh, better articles in Washington Post started with saying, He didn't scream. He didn't scream. Uh, I see his last act as a powerful, potent scream. Even though there was an absence of physical sound from him because he took it on as a practice, a scream. People, I work in mainstream environmental movement and we are always talking about strategy. What is the strategy to achieve some um, sanity with respect to climate crisis? How are we going to achieve this, make this regulation get passed or this law gets passed in this chamber of um, whatever? Strategy, we talk about strategy. Wynn's action wasn't about strategy. It was about this primal emotional scream. You don't ask a person who's getting abused or raped or molested to think about a strategy to enact a law that will stop the rape. Wynn's action was about, wake up! 
and and it resonated with me grassroots activists people of color activists who know that sense of disempowerment we feel when we've been talking about an issue knocking on doors petitions sitting in at congress uh, person's office you know ch- changing political leaders we feel this sense of disempowerment this immense climate grief this immense racial trauma it's like the world has stopped listening to me listening to our voices none of the mainstream media had the courage had the depth to understand that scream and i actually in i don't know how much time we have but i I want to invite Candice, Alexis, with your permission to talk about importance of scream in Wynn's life. Yeah. So we can interpret his last scream of an act. Thank you. I'll be as concise as I can and I have two stories to share. The second one will be about the scream and the first one is about, Kriti, what you were saying with regards to taking the time for depth. Wynn was an avid cyclist. He had five different types of bikes, very diverse bikes. He did not drive. That was motivated by his brain injury, but then over the years became a commitment and a celebration of uh, living on the planet in a more sustainable way and um, achieving a healthier lifestyle and body too. And so for he and I, we, we biked everywhere together. For a little while, he also had a little scooter and it was bright yellow and we called it the bumblebee. I'm a very tall woman, Wynn was quite tall too. So you can imagine two of us on this tiny scooter with me like my knees up around my ears, bumping along the, the roads of Boulder. And whether it was on the scooter or one of, one of our amazing bikes, if we came across an animal that had died either by, you know, often human causes, cars in particular, or unknown means. We had to stop, get that animal, even if it was on a busy highway, we would put barricades up with our bodies so that one of us could go get it and bring it to the side. He would pray for it, do a little spontaneous ceremony, even if we were just laying it to rest in a little ditch, but usually we tried to find a little shrub or tree and, and honor that being. And what struck me about that part of when is that it didn't matter if we were going to some important meeting or some great meditation retreat or whatever. If we were gonna be late, if we were gonna miss something, it didn't matter. That animal had died, it needed to be tended to, and that's what was gonna happen. So that speaks to who he was and the paradox of people not taking time to go deep with him. The scream. (laughs) Wynn knew about pain. Um, His parents had divorced when he was quite young, so he experienced that, you know, family pain early on. And then of course, the accident where Scott died and he had his traumatic brain injury and almost died himself. And so through all of his physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual healing practices, he also got in touch with his voice and learned 
how to use the power of authentic or primal screams for healing. Not for drama, not for getting attention, for literally moving energy very effectively through his body and allowing that pain to actually sequence through and transform into something else. He was exquisite with it. Usually where I heard him do that was in our conscious dance practices. So there could be anywhere from 50 to 150 people in the room moving together. And our teacher had had taught us how to be respectful in that space. And when really took that in and was careful in terms of when and how he would evoke a scream. And it was always at a perfect moment where it allowed him some expression, but more often than not allowed the collective body to actually express something too. Just so perfectly punctuated in those dances. So at Naropa, I, at this point, um, we were months, perhaps almost a year into our relationship, and I was in the somatic psychotherapy program, asked to do a dance of my life for my peers. So each of us as peers, as therapists in training, had to kind of choose some milestones of our lives and put that into a dance that could be communicated with someone that didn't know us, who could very quickly get a, a sense of what we had been through in our lives through that dance, including body movements, facial expressions, and of course sounds. And so I had worked out my little dance and I was showing Wynn and he was very attentive and, and loving. He said, you know, I think something's missing. I feel like you need a scream in there. I'd gone through my own disability and pain and very um, intensive surgeries as a young child and had lost a part of my voice in that and never had allowed my body to scream. I was sliced open from my neck right down to my hips in an eight-hour surgery and of course that's very invasive for a little body and to not have been able to let that sound out was a bit of a block and he saw that. So he said, I want to teach you how to scream, but we can't do it here at the condo. We're going to freak people out in our neighborhood. So we're going to look at the train schedule. We'll figure out when the train's coming by. We'll get on our bikes, go down there, and then we'll just scream. And that's what we did. So there we are standing beside <laughs> the train as it's going through the outskirts of Boulder. And the first scream that I had was quite feeble, and he tried really hard not to laugh, but <laughs> couldn't help himself. So he just kept showing me in his own body and with his own sound how to do it. And finally, after a few tries, I started getting it and he kept coaching me to, you know, do another one, do another one. And again, not to get high on it, not to pop out of my own body, actually to ground and to really allow that energy to sequence through. So it was such a powerful teaching for me. I healed in that moment. I healed as I did my little dance with my peers and, and they felt the power of that scream. And then I was able to bring that to future dance movement practices uh, for myself and for others. Thank you, Candice. Thank you. Um, I hope that resonates with you. And I want to do a last part of the scream theme here. I lead grief circles for activists. We, anyone who's trying to change what's happening in this world, who knows what's happening with climate, the racial injustices, the gun violence, the gender violence, 
we are all asked by our mainstream society to just keep running after that next goal, you know, next article published, next conference attended, next podcast, whatever. We don't have time to slow down and honor our own grief and honor our own anger. So there are a number of teachers from different traditions, indigenous, people of color, cultures, who've had these grief circles where people come together and each of us gets to speak of what is bothering us, right? And um, I learned it from my uh, uh, Joanna Macy and then my grief ritual teacher, Beth Garrigus. And for last, um, uh, since 2015, I would say, so it's seven years, I've been teaching, leading grief rituals, climate grief rituals. And when people of color come together, you cannot separate climate grief from racial trauma. So it's all in there. When attended many of these grief rituals with me, um, and one of the primary things I asked people when the momentum had built up, it's like people are crying, we welcome tears, no one gives you a hug, or uh, we are together listening to each other, but we don't interrupt. I uh, invited people to make primal sounds. Shout, grief, let out that inner anger and inner grief that we haven't been allowed in the mainstream culture to speak about. And I see that primal scream as uh, both has healing and as a clarion call for action. Like I'm gonna be true to the scream. I feel this in my body and it's healing and clarifying. and. For, for every grief circle I've led, it's led to so much clarity and courage to take more radical actions. Because when the grief is bottled within us, it's like your body is, mm -hmm. you, you are weighed down by the grief Correct. instead of being empowered by grief because grief is love. You don't mm -hmm. grieve anything that you don't love. So it's like to realize that love, I love this ecosystem, I love this planet, I love my people, I'm going to think more clearly and strategically. I see, to answer your question, what would I love for Win to be remembered about, uh, remembered as? I want to remember all of his life, all of his multifaceted talents, and his last act as a primal scream to wake us up wasn't about strategy, wasn't about what will this get done. It's like, hello! No, oh, man. Um... Thank you for sharing that. And uh, I always have so many um, questions and directions we can go. Um, and uh, I'm really gracious for your, uh, grateful for your time. Uh, we'll be finishing up soon, but I also want to like one of the last questions is give the floor to both of you uh, to share any final thoughts. But before we get there, um, you know, both of you mentioned and touched on like this feeling of disempowerment 
that we have right now with everything. Uh, Ke- uh, you know, Keetri, you mentioned gun violence, gender violence, and how all, and uh, climate crisis, and how all of these things are interconnected. Um, you know, we're told to to vote. We're told to call our um, our representatives to to push forward said, you know, bill or or, um, or you know legislation through. But what I'm really moved by, um, you know, because I feel really strongly, and I'll be biased. <laughs> I'll break the cardinal rule of journalism and be biased. I don't think that you can you know, capitalism your way out of a crisis created by capitalism. But what I really value of this conversation here and getting to know more about when is this connection, uh, this grounding in, in spirituality uh, and helping us move forward. Because I feel like, you know, as, as somebody who is Latino, you know, I, I identify as, as Latino, you know, um, our culture is really one of, of conflict, right, of conquest and, um, you know, uh, violence. And one of the things that I think we were uh, kind of or was tried to one of the things that was wiped away uh, in the conquest of this continent was like the uh, indigenous perspective and not just spirituality, but of course, again, caring for the earth um, in that respect, too. And so just having this conversation about, you know, grounding oneself um, in spirituality, I feel like that's just really profound. And um, I guess the I'm saying all this to lead up to this question of, um you know, I'm not going to ask you, how do we solve this climate crisis? Because we've all been trying to figure that out, um, you know, but is tapping into spirituality, whether it be, um, you know, Buddhism or something else, do you see that as a as a path forward for us? You know, healing as people and then, you know, waking us up, right, to to heal our, our planet, to, sh- to, to ensure that we have something to pass down to, to, um, to future generations. I know that's a awkwardly phrased question, but please, uh, you know, I, I welcome and value any response that either one of you have to it. Mm-hmm. Shall I go? Sure. Over to you. Yeah, no, go for it. I've got some things yeah. bubbling, but they're not quite ready. <laughs> the... If I knew what exactly would help us all to face this climate crisis, the way it needs to be faced, um, I would take a trumpet and, uh, you know, just go. What I do know is that our levels of trauma, personal trauma, family trauma, class-based issues, racial violence, immigration, all of these issues, they have accumulated to such an extent, which is unprecedented, whether you call it spirituality or not, I or Buddhism, I don't care about what label we use. For one thing fundamentally needed here, in my view, is communities coming together and creating space for grieving. Grieving what has already been lost and feeling seen in that grief. See, we can all sit in our homes and cry alone, but that actually traumatizes us more. One of the fundamental things that heals us is to be seen in our grief, right? To be seen by a loving community. I am holding this grief. That clarifies us. See, what trauma does is, trauma basically makes us feel shame. Mm -hmm. If I am feeling shame and someone says, 
you don't have a bigger home you don't have a nicer dress nicer heels nicer whatever we buy into that capitalist narrative even when we know that it's hurting us and our planet and our communities mm-hmm. shame becomes an engine of capitalism mm-hmm. shame trauma becomes an engine of capitalism and if we have to put brake on that fundamental engine we have to come together as communities to grieve to so speak of our inner shame and trauma grief anger compost that mm-hmm. compost the trauma instead of having the trauma become an engine of white supremacy an engine of neoliberal capitalism an engine of our climate crisis we my prayer is that it becomes compost for our movement for the radical changes we need to make at personal individual and collective lives it doesn't need to have a label of buddhism it doesn't need to have a label of meditation that's personal parts mm-hmm. but what and that's not just me a number of psychologists around the world are really saying screaming we are not ready for the mental health crisis that is yeah. already here yeah. and what more is about to come our way so i in my bigger work big, bigger body of work that every journalist neglected when they quoted my tweets and so on it's like this is what win also stood for we have to work with our inner trauma yeah. with, if we don't work with that we're going to become an engine a pawn in the system unknowingly unwittingly but if we consciously come together to talk about what's hurting in a skillful way we could power our movement and that's why i frankly do people of color retreats our people need that so badly mm-hmm. and are coming forward for me with regards to when and this question Alexis that you posed regarding spirituality um as a as a as a resource as as a part of the path and again whatever label we want to put on that and the four words are joy love community and the sacred and so I'll speak to each of those briefly when realized very early on in his healing journey the the role of joy in his life as something that felt good that felt nourishing that he could share that brightened other people's lives and over the years he learned the the spiritual purpose of joy too and in such dark times and difficult just crushing experiences the ability to at the same time find ways to grow joy even if it's really tiny like just crying and feeling that grief and anger and turning and seeing the sun glistening on a little drop of water on a pine needle there in that beauty and in that moment there can be a teeny little bit of joy and being able to notice that 
and then see if there's a way that the body can take it in just a little bit can be very helpful. And then doing those sorts of practices in community, being seen and heard in the pain, developing tools and techniques for moving that through while also basking in the, the comfort and nourishment of the love and learning to see the beauty and the joy. So that actually covers the community and the love piece. And then the final is cultivating the sacred. <laughs> Kriti and I were speaking the other day of, of what I found with uh, Wynn's dad and his stepmom as we were going through his condo. And I think all of us were hoping we might find one letter or one thing that spelled out exactly what he was doing and why. And, and we did not. We found bits and pieces. I said to Kriti, uh, thousands of breadcrumbs and many of those were little quotes and things that he had left around and this was one it's actually from a, a yogi tea bag I'm not sure if you can see it there or not um, he's, he's got it taped up so it was really important to him so he basically plasticized it himself and it says communicate sacredness build it share it and spread it. And Alexis, I feel like that speaks to some of the, the indigenous, the First Nations, um, Native American uh, pain that is present now too, because many cultures around the world had this kind of philosophy at their core, including the indigenous peoples of, of North America, Central South America. Um, and that what has been literally obliterated. And so to take a stand for the sacred and yes, treat our bodies with that sacredness, develop that sacred relationship with the earth, including the love and joy while we move the grief and the anger, um, as well as the, the bigger, the cosmic universal layers of the sacred, it's critical. It's absolutely critical. And that can look a thousand different ways. There's no one right way. Uh, I can't tell you both uh, how um, how grateful I am for you to share this and be as open as you've been. And um, coming to uh, the conclusion, and you know, I, I welcome the opportunity also, should y'all be interested, um, to continue conversations in, in the future. You know, um, anyway, we can use our humble platform to amplify uh, the message that I think both of you uh, resonate, and I think it's really important. So I, I want to throw that out there as well. Um, but in terms of finalizing our time here um, right now, I always like to give the opportunity to folks that have been gracious with their time to, um, you know, one, uh, you know, final moment for them to share uh, whatever it is they want to share. Um, what would be the one key end note that you'd like to, um, uh, that you'd like our audience to, to hear? And uh, Kriti and Candice, um, you can decide amongst yourself who wants to go first, but it could be anything. Uh, you've already shared so much, and I appreciate that. Um, but what would you like to leave our audience with? I'll start and see yeah. that moves in. Um, I resonated so much with what you shared, Candice. Um, 
one thought, one strand that we didn't touch on. Uh, and I wasn't the wisest in my shock uh, at the moment when I did my first tweets was thinking about impact of anything I say or even wins action on really young vulnerable activists who might be deeply feeling climate grief and the trauma of racial injustices as much as we love win as much as we understand his action his way of communication I absolutely want to be clear. If I knew I would have stopped with him with all I've got. One of the pains that I've been processing, just like anyone who has experienced um, their family members choosing to end their lives is this constant questioning. Did I help him enough? Did I miss some signs? Did I love him enough? Did I support his activism enough? What more could I have done? And I believe that's, yes, that questioning can get heavy sometimes, but it's healthy questioning. So there is a part of it which is, I don't quite have the right words for it is to say, let's slow down and take care of ourselves, take care of each other. I do not think Wynn would have wanted anyone to follow his no. example here. No. He won't, uh, you know, we don't have a final letter from him to be sure of what exactly was going on, but he was letting out a scream for us to hear. He wasn't saying scream like me. He wasn't, he didn't leave, leave a manifesto to like, how sometimes white supremacists are spreading their message, this is how you need to attack or whatever. Um, we need to we need to hear his message and we and I believe Candace uh, we, and I haven't talked about this. I, I, I would be heartbroken if someone else, some young soul were to, follow this exam want to follow this example i hope we will do everything in our power to compost our grief mm -hmm. to stay tight knit communities and walk with each other yeah. something people of color communities already do otherwise we wouldn't survive mm -hmm. uh, but but to do it even more consciously lovingly bringing in modern tools spiritual practices um and we, that, that resilience is needed no matter what other actions we take for climate crisis and racial injustices. Mm -hmm. And so I want to end with that prayer from my end. May we all know how to, how to truly love each other, mm -hmm. care for each other. Um, because that's, that's what Wynn's life stood for. Mm -hmm. 
I knew Wynn profoundly as a partner, as a friend, but also as um, a servant. He wanted to serve in the Air Force before his accident. Kriti summarized that very well, the, the way that the accident flipped that and caused him to work on his own deeper healing and then transform those intentions in a totally different way. And yet that commitment to serve not just country, but humanity, the planet, larger layers of our cosmic existence remained fierce in him. And I can't think of a specific example right now, but I just remember having conversations with him where, again, he wanted to inspire people to feel full of life the way that he did, the way that that accident woke him up Mm. and how much it made him slow down. He had no choice um, with aspects of the brain injury, how much beauty he then saw and joy. And then also, of course, the, the brutality of the truth that he could see so clearly, actually having broken many of the filters that, that others of us get caught in. And he, he didn't want other people to feel the pain that he did or to um, have to walk that same path. And so that intuitively, resonantly just feels correct that he was not doing this so that others would choose the same action. Mm-hmm. It was to wake people up and to empower in a very intense way. And as much as the grief and the anger of the primal scream is there, his connection, loving connection with the earth was profound. That anytime we went for a bike or a hike, you could just see him melting into that and this new kind of light and strength coming through him because he was able to connect to the love from the earth. And it's phenomenal that we live on a planet within a a being that despite all the destructive actions happening against it is still profoundly loving and has an infinite amount of positive energy to share with us. And so for listeners to, to have faith in that, that that is available to and to find practices and community to help cultivate that because it can be challenging and scary, overwhelming and frustrating at times, but it is there. Thank you, Candice. I'm, um, I'm going to take your words and, and apply them, uh, to my own life as anybody. I have my frustrations and always have to remember that. Um, but Kriti, uh, Candice, thank you so much for joining us today and, and opening up, um, about your dear friend, uh, Wynn Bruce and for, um, sharing your wisdom with us and our audience. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much for talking about these topics, which are so, so hard. There is stigma around them. There is isolation around them. Mm -hmm. I want you to truly hear our gratitude for reaching out. Uh, This becomes part of our own, uh, own journeys of becoming whole after this scream and um, I don't just see the scream 
as grief and anger alone there might be strands of it for me when i say primal scream it's almost like the universe is screaming through your body it's not like wind scream you know sometimes in prayer and meditation it's like the trauma of all my people is moving through my body the earth gaia is speaking through my body so i think of wind's action as that scream of mother earth um i'm adding it at this point but uh, i just felt important to say that clarify, clarify that it isn't a it isn't just a one person's desperate mm-hmm. cry grief or uh, yelling of anger or it's deeper the primal screams like we invite in our grief work is becoming a vehicle for the bigger voice so thank you for giving us the time to unpack these very um important topics mm-hmm. thank you both very much alexis and kari I wanted to acknowledge your role in holding space today. Um, in the somatic training that I'm part of, there's something called authentic movement, where we have a small group of people and there'll be half the group are just witnesses and the other half are moving through uh, some kind of experience. And the witnesses hold a very sacred role of creating container, holding space, and and just giving that quality of attention and love and curiosity and discernment. Um, so just honoring your role in addition to Alexis and his uh, there, sorry, I didn't clarify, uh, love and um, really integral questions and intentions. Yeah. Yeah.